0: Good morning, Axis Church. How are we doing? Uh, Why don't you turn to somebody and tell them something you are thankful for, one thing you're thankful for today. How many of you said something that involved food? Raise your hand if you said something that involved food after this week, okay? Yeah, so we all have something we're thankful for. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which says, Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for that is God's will for you in Christ. And, and I just want you to know that I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for Axis Church. I'm thankful for your joy. I am thankful for your prayers because I know that many of you are praying regularly for the church, for the leaders, and for the impact of Axis Church. And, and I'm thankful for your generosity. The past couple years have been very difficult for churches all over the country and around the world restrictions, caution, fear, complacency, even disagreements have really left churches facing some challenges. But through it all, we have stayed together. We've stayed faithful to the Word of God and His mission. We've stayed positive. We have not ignored realities. We have faced realities with compassion and courage and a commitment to preach the Word in season and out of season when it's popular and when it's not. And, uh, Last year, at this time, I actually got up and gave a very clear call to our church about both giving and serving. We had a few people uh, who were really carrying the load regarding serving, and we had others who uh, had kind of gone to the sideline. And when it came to giving, we had really faced a low point in our giving in the months of August, September, and October last year, really to emergency levels. And so, Uh, I gave that message, and your response to that call was just overwhelming. People called me and texted me and emailed me and said, we are in. We sort of lost track. We love this church. We love the mission of the people. We are all in, and people gave, and people stepped up, and it was really just tremendous. And really, my message this year is just keep it up. I mean, this is our church together. It's It's not just my church, it's our church, it's Christ's church, he's the head, but we are all part of this local team, and this is where we have all signed up and said, yes, we're in. And I just want you to know that I'm so thankful for you today. And uh, today when you came in, you were given, I think, or probably received a 2022 commitment card, and uh, this week in the mail, you're going to get a letter and a commitment card but I want you to be praying about that, your commitments for next year, in particular regarding finances, and, and then bring those cards back next week. Take a step of faith. Let's all give this year out of overwhelming gratitude to the Lord and what He is doing in our lives, and, uh, and, and talk about it with your spouse or a friend, and, uh, and let's all come back together and let's celebrate what God's going to do in 2022. Now, today, we are finishing our series called Legacy, Live a Life That Outlives You, and we've been looking at a relationship between the Apostle Paul and his young mentor, Timothy, his apprentice in the faith, and we've used 1 Timothy 6 as a launching pad for uh, each of these weeks uh, in this series. And so my text happens to be 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Look at the verse. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, in, under, in order to understand the importance of the word that Paul just gave to Timothy, you have to understand a little bit more about their story. And so I thought on this last weekend of this series, I would tell you more about the relationship between Paul and his apprentice, Timothy. And those of you who like history, about the next eight minutes, you're just going to be super excited, okay? And for the rest of you, I think you can endure it, okay? And so here is a little bit about the story of Timothy. Timothy was a young man who grew up in a town, a village called Lystra to a mother whose name was Eunice and a grandmother whose name was Lois. A couple of real, normal names, all right? Eunice and Lois. And I didn't have to do any historical digging to learn that. It's right there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He said, Paul writes, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. His mother and his grandmother were Jews who were married to Greeks, and so Timothy was half Jewish, half Greek, and he grew up going to a Jewish synagogue. Judaism was his faith, and so he was learning the Torah, he was learning about God, and one day, a traveling rabbi came through town, and this traveling rabbi's name was the Apostle Paul. And Paul came through Lystra on what was called his first missionary journey, and he was traveling through different towns. And so he came through uh, through Lystra, and on that journey, he shared with the people in that synagogue about who the Messiah truly was—that Jesus Christ had come from God. He told them about his life and his ministry, how he loved and how he healed, and then how he was crucified, and how he is also the true hope of Israel the Messiah that they had long awaited for, and that not only had he died, but he had resurrected three days later. He rose from the dead and now is interceding for us in heaven, and he is coming again. And that message was so powerful that Eunice and Lois both believed in Christ. They put their faith in Christ, and so did Timothy. And uh, and it transformed them. Now, here's what's interesting to me. That was Paul's first missionary journey. He took another journey a couple of years later. We call it his second missionary journey. And on that trip, he took a guy named Silas and he also took a guy named Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor. And I've learned that when you travel, it's a really good idea to have a doctor with you. And so Paul knew that. He brought Luke with him on these journeys. And so they were traveling together. And it was great that Luke was there not only because he was a doctor, but also he was very, I guess, prolific in his writing. We know this because Luke ended up writing the Gospel of Luke and writing the Book of Acts, which was a history of all of what was happening in the early church. And he was learning these things from the Apostle Paul. And so Luke was writing them down. But guess who else was there? Timothy. So Timothy on the first trip was converted to Christ, and on Paul's second trip... Paul picked him up on the way by. Those of you who love history, I even provided a map. How beautiful is this? Okay? So here we are down in Jerusalem, down at the bottom, and then they go up through Antioch and Tarsus, and then you see the city of Lystra. And I think on their second missionary journey, as the chariot was going by, Paul was like, Jump in, Timothy. Don't worry, we have a toothbrush. So they grabbed Timothy on the way, and they're planning on going to Asia, okay? That was their destination. But Paul received a vision from the Lord that said, Don't go to Asia just now. Instead, go to an area called Macedonia up in the upper left up there. And in Macedonia, it's really important that Paul was called to go there. Number one, because this was what's now modern day Greece. Paul was called to be the first one to go share the gospel message with people in Europe. And those of you who have a European background, you can be thankful for that. There's another reason why it's important because there are cities in that area that are very important. Cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and those are important cities because Paul planted churches there and then he wrote them letters and those letters ended up in the New Testament, the book of Philippians and the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Then from there they traveled down to Athens and then to the city of Corinth, both of which were port cities. And so Timothy, while he was on this second missionary journey, and by the way, if you're interested in this, you can learn about Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, 17, and 18 if you want to learn more about the history. And there were some amazing things that happened there. Uh, Recently, we had a worship night And we were celebrating what God had done as they worshiped at midnight and broke out of the prison. That happened in the city of Philippi on Paul's second missionary journey. Exactly what we're talking about. So Timothy was there, and he sees all of this, and he experiences all of this. Now, I tell you all of that because that is background to what we're going to talk about today. You see, after Paul returned from the second missionary journey, (laughs) about five or six years later, he ends up taking what we call the third missionary journey, and he decided that he was going to go back to that same area of Macedonia. And so here he is back in Macedonia, and things have changed in Macedonia. The Romans have been the rulers of that area, but now they are oppressive to Christians. They are persecuting the Christians. The believers in Jesus in Macedonia are literally under siege And so Paul is there visiting churches and encouraging the leaders. But he sees something incredible there. He sees that despite their trials and despite their hardship, that that they are incredibly faithful to God, that they are very, very generous people, and that they are really trying to help not only their own churches, but churches in different parts of the world. Now, that is all background because while Paul is on a third missionary journey, and he's in Macedonia. He decides to write a letter to the believers in the city of Corinth. And in the city of Corinth, they aren't quite as faithful as the believers in Macedonia. And so while Paul is there, he's writing a letter, and he writes what we call the book of 2 Corinthians. And he writes it in part to the believers in Corinth, and he tells them about the faith of the people in Macedonia. And that leads us to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Here's what he says. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. And so you understand now that Paul is back in Macedonia. He's seen their faith despite their hardship. And he is writing to the believers in Corinth and saying, God has blessed you, Corinthians, These guys have hardship, and yet their faith is worth emulating. It's such a great story to understand the background, and we learn a lot through this about living a life of generosity, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And if you've ever wondered, why should I be generous when it comes to giving back to the Lord or His church, let the Macedonian believers be an encouragement to you, because they're encouragement to me, and they were encouragement to Paul. And here's five things that I think you can do when you see the the Macedonian Christians give, it encourages us. And and one thing I learned is that generosity inspires others. I mean, don't you hear the emotion in his words when he says, the Macedonian Christians are in a hardship, a severe trial. They were under siege, and yet, even despite that, they gave with joy. In his commentary on this passage, Knopfel Staten writes, The Macedonians had been going through a severe trial. That expression is more literally translated a great ordeal or affliction. The word affliction comes from a Greek word meaning crushing grain or grapes. It was a trial of devastation. It was the kind of trial that could have totally crushed the spirit and life out of some people, but not the Macedonians. And then he writes, their attitude was greater than their situation. And I love that last line. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, I want you to keep in mind the generosity of the Macedonians. They have uh, been going through a really tough time. And yet despite that, and even in their poverty, they are so generous. They gave joyfully, urgently, voluntarily. They gave spiritually. They gave first of themselves to the Lord. Now, maybe this isn't the highest motivation for us, But for me, when I see somebody else live a life of generosity, that just really encourages me. When I see somebody else that steps up to the table and despite hardship and challenge, they give to a cause, especially a kingdom cause, that just encourages me so much. I mean, most of us know deep down that the world's philosophy of greed and materialism is wrong. Most of us know money doesn't buy happiness. We know that Jesus was right when he said, man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And deep down, most of us want to be generous, but sometimes it's just hard to do that. And so when we see somebody step up and say, I want to give, it encourages us. Rich Mullins was a popular Christian artist who died several years ago. He wrote the chorus that we uh, sang for a long time, Our God is an Awesome God. And and many, many other Christian songs. And several years ago, Rich passed away. I had the opportunity to meet Rich and also our group that we used to sing with. actually got a chance to sing one of Rich's songs with him uh, called Ready for the Storm several years ago when I was in college. But Rich was in his 40s when he died. And he died in a car accident. And at his funeral, it was announced that Rich, years ago, had taken a vow of chastity and poverty and though he made millions in royalties from his songwriting, he gave it all away. He ended up living on an Indian reservation, and the, about the only thing they found that he owned back in his apartment was a coat. Everything else was in his Jeep with him when he passed away, and, uh, and, and, and his story really humbles me because I have so much, and, and I'm inspired by his story to be more generous, to think in terms of how can I give more than a tithe? How can I give to special occasions and how can I give more of myself because God is an awesome God. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8 says I'm not commanding you but I do want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. It is not the highest motivation but when I see somebody else give it just helps me be generous as well. Secondly, generosity helps us grow spiritually. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7 says Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Notice, Paul says your giving, your generosity is is on the same plane as your faith and your speech and the things you say and your knowledge and what you study in the Word of God and your earnestness. So it is part of growing in the Christian life. Sometimes somebody will tell me, why why do we occasionally talk about resources and money in the church? Shouldn't that be somewhere else? And shouldn't we talk about more spiritual things? But God was very clear, and Jesus was too, that this was such an important part of our Christian life because it's part of increasing our faith. There is just something about when we release, that God is able to use it and to bless us, and he's able to take it and to help grow our trust in him. Your attitude, my attitude toward money is a vital part of our Christian life, and all of us in this room, we look at 2022, we should all think about how can we grow spiritually? How can we grow spiritually? Uh, A couple of years ago, my uh, father and I were writing a book together on nonprofit companies. It was his idea, and I was trying to help facilitate it in the years that he was sick and uh, getting ready to pass away we gathered a lot of information together we actually wrote quite a lot but a lot of it was because when he was getting ill i sat down with him over four sessions and i would ask questions in under our themes or headings for him to tell me stories in these areas and these five areas and 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 so on one of those occasions we talked about funding nonprofit companies funding nonprofit companies And dad's been in nonprofit companies for several years, all of his life, churches and then also parachurch organizations. And he told this story, and I'm going to read it to you just as I transcribed it from him. Here's what he talks about. He said, at Eastern Hills Christian Church in High Point, North Carolina, we were going through a building program. We were going to have a new auditorium, and we needed pews. And so I contacted the pew company in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I said, we need these pews, but to be very frank with you, we don't have any money. And the president of the company said, well, I have several men working, and it's a tough time right now. Interest rate was about 12 or 13%, Dad said. I want to keep my men working. I just have to go on faith that your congregation will eventually pay me. They have some money on reserve. I have some money on reserve, he said. I can keep the men working. We'll sign a contract. So we signed the contract, and the contract for those pew was $6,500. And that was going to seat an auditorium about 300 plus people. And so they brought those pews in after they had them manufactured. They brought them in. And there was just a couple weeks before we were going to have our grand opening. I thought we might have to go out and rent chairs, but there they had them. And we had not put up any money at all. And on the day of dedication, which was about two or three weeks later, after taking up a regular offering, I said, now the pews you're setting on... As you all know, this company in Lynchburg, Virginia, by faith, (laughs) went ahead and got them done, and here they are. You're sitting on them and enjoying them today. Well, we need to at least make a faith payment toward these pews today. So I asked the men to come back up. They'd just taken up the offering. I said, just dump the offering on a pile by the pulpit, and they did. And I said, we're going to take up another offering. This is just a faith offering, so give whatever you can. I opened up my wallet, my billfold, and I said, I'm going to give the largest bill that I have. That's a $20 bill. So I pulled it out of my billfold. But then when the offering plate started with me, I decided I have five 20s in there, and I just gave all five 20s. And the offering was passed around, and we had church that morning. And then we had church Sunday evening back then and that night. And one of the guys came in and he said, three or four of us couples had dinner today over at Rex Simpson's. And Mrs. Simpson asked uh, us to go buy some ice. But all of us looked in our wallets. We didn't have any money. And the reason we didn't have any money is because we gave it all. He, sa- he said, I thought, that's interesting. I gave my all. And those three families gave their all. And he said, I had our church treasurer come up and give a report And that report that night was that we had given $6,500 exactly what we needed. And in one moment, the faith of everyone in that church grew. I think one of your goals and one of my goals should be in 2022 that our faith should grow, that our spiritual life should grow, that we should grow in our generosity and we should put God to the test and we should say, because God, you're faithful, we want to be faithful. Number three, I think generosity is one way to show your love for Christ. Verse nine says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Think about it for a moment, all of what Christ did for you on the cross. He didn't give 10% or half of himself, he gave everything. He left the riches of heaven for the poverty of earth. He left the security of the Father for the torture of men. He left eternal life in heaven for death on the cross. He said, no one takes my life up for me. I give it up by my own accord. Jesus gave everything for us. And when you understand what Christ did for you on the cross, that he paid for all your sins, that you're guilt-free, that you have the promise of eternal life, and you start growing in the Christian life, slowly the Holy Spirit will start opening up your hands and surrender in generosity. You see, we don't give just to pay the church's bills. We give because Jesus Christ has given his best to us, and so we give back in return to him. That's why the Bible says giving is a part of our worship. In 2 Chronicles, or 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 29, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We think about worship, we think about singing, we think about preaching, we think about communion. But we also think about offering. Why? Because in the moment of offering, we're saying, God, we surrender to you. We trust that you will take care of us. We are so thankful for what you've given, for God to so love the world that you gave, that we want to reflect your heart, Jesus, and we want to return back to you. It's an act of submission to the authority of God in our lives. We're appreciating our Father. But one of the things I've loved about Hannah over the years, who played keyboard today, is uh, just a generous heart. And I remember when she was a little girl, about three or four, we'd go to the bank and she'd uh, pick up a sucker from the bank. But then she wouldn't just get one sucker, she'd get two more suckers, and she's three or four, and she'd give one of those suckers to her brother, and she would save and give one of those suckers to her daddy. And I just love that. One, because I love suckers. And two, because I love Hannah. And, and, And her giving was an expression of her heart toward me. It was just her saying... Thank you for giving to me, and in my own simple childlike way, I want to give back to you. And that's what we're doing when we give back to the Lord. God, you've given us so much, we just want to return back to you as an act of love and devotion to say, God, thank you for being our Father. Fourth, generosity takes commitment. Chapter 8, verse 10 says, here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Here is Paul reminding the Corinthians about what they promised to do the year before. You were here, you made a pledge, I want you to be eager not only to, to make the pledge, but to keep your promise. And, uh, and I think, honestly, that's one of the reasons why we do our commitment cards Nobody tracks that. Nobody says, this is where somebody is and this is what they committed to. This is a faith promise between you and the Lord. It helps us in our planning, but it's between you and God. And so when you write that out, I just think there's something about writing it out that makes it a commitment and makes it something that says, this is what I'm going to do. That's why we make these commitments in that way. Uh, This week, our youth pastor, Andrew, and the love of his life, Claire, are going to uh, commit their lives to one another in holy matrimony, and uh, we're going to celebrate with them, and it's going to be exciting, as they say, I do, and you know what happens in those moments. You know, will you, Andrew, take Claire to be your wife, to live together in the holy bonds of marriage till death do us part, for better or for worse, sickness and health, richer or poorer? And, uh, and they make those commitments to each other. They do it before their family and friends because what they're saying is, hey, we're in this for the long haul. And our job as their family or friends are to say, hey, keep it up. We're encouraging you. You guys can make it through. Let's celebrate with you. And so when you make your commitments next week, when you bring those cards back, can I encourage you, would you pray with your spouse? And if you're not married, talk to a trusted friend and say, hey, this is going to stretch me, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm so excited to contribute. Would you help hold me accountable to this? And can I encourage you parents, talk to your kids. Involve them in the process so that they know that you're making a commitment to the Lord, and that way they know what it means. You're setting an example for them for the future, that it's important not to just take for ourselves, but to give back to the Lord. And then number five, generosity helps meet needs. We give because we genuinely care about the welfare of people. Verse 13 says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So in turn, their plenty will supply what you need, and then there will be equality. What is happening here? Is this sort of some spiritual socialism happening? Everybody needs to be on exactly the same playing field? No. No. What Paul is saying is, hey, Corinthians, you live in a port city. You have more resources than they do. You have more money. And yet out of their poverty, they gave even beyond their ability. And what he's saying is when you, by the way, they were giving to the Jerusalem Christians who were under incredible, intense persecution in the heart of of Roman persecution in Jerusalem, and they were giving money, and they were giving resources back to them. And what he's saying is, when the Corinthians, when you give to them, and when the Macedonians give to them, yes, they don't have as much, but they also have spiritual blessings. They have prayer. They're encouraged. You're encouraged. The Christians in Jerusalem are encouraged. They all get blessed through your giving. They might give more resources, but they are also giving spiritual blessings. You know, I'm, I'm really happy that we're giving to Mount Airy schools this year, and I appreciate Sandy and her work on this, and, and Lisa as well. And we have 130 names of children that we have all signed up to say we want to give them the best Christmas possible. And I love that because it's a blessing to those children who may not have had a Christmas without us, And I love it because the children in return bless us, don't they? And when we see their little smiling faces on there and say, we love you, Axis Church, and thank you so much, we receive a blessing as well. And that's what Paul is talking about, that there might be equality. And so when we give, we also realize that we are making an impact on people. You know, there are a lot of people today that are down on the church, a lot of people that are down on the church. The church is not essential the church is not important. The church does not, uh, is, is not needed. But guys, the church does so much good around the world. Who is the first to any crisis? The church. You will find believers in Jesus handing out water, rebuilding damaged homes, giving out food, providing medical supplies. And that's why I'm so thankful to be part of God's church, but I'm also thankful to be part of this church. I'm thankful to be part of this local team, And we aren't the largest church in the world, and we can't do everything, but we can do something, and we do. Acts's church is making an impact on people both now and eternity. Lifelong friendships are formed here. Children are learning about the power of God. Students are being equipped in a world that continues to move further and further away from God and morality. Disciples are being made one life at a time. People in El Salvador are being supported and funded and encouraged. Churches have been planted. People in Middletown are coming to faith in Jesus. And all of us together are making an eternal difference. And that takes us right back to Paul's word to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He reminds him that when he does this, when he is generous, Paul, the older Paul now, writing to young Timothy and saying, listen, I'm at the end of my life, let me give you some advice. Leave a legacy of generosity. Command those who are rich in this present world. And by the way, if you're thinking, well, that's not me because I've got needs. Well, if you live in America, and you live in Ohio, and you live in Mason or Westchester or Liberty Township or Monroe or Mainville, You are in the upper, 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 upper percentage of all the world. And the Bible says, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And why? In this way, you will lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may be able to take hold of that life, which is truly life. You want to leave a legacy that outlives you? You have to live a life of generosity. Because what we do here matters for now and for eternity. This week I received a difficult phone call on Thanksgiving Day uh, about a young man who actually attended Axis Church for the first several years of his life with his grandparents. And he passed away this week. He was only 16 years old. His name was Parker Iverson. And some of you know Jane and Al Iverson because they attended our church for several years. And Al gave me a phone call to say that on Thanksgiving Day that Parker was in the shower getting ready to join the rest of his family for the Thanksgiving meal. They were going to visit Al and Jane's home. His stepdad went in to get him and he had had a massive heart attack. No explanation. 16 years old and so on Wednesday while we or Thursday while we were uh, all celebrating um, Thanksgiving together and eating a meal this family who had prepared a meal was now uh, mourning his loss at Atrium uh, Medical Center and this week on Wednesday we will be celebrating the life of Parker Iverson and I'll be leading the family through that uh, time of both grief and also celebration here's what I want to say some of you taught Parker in our children 's department. Thank you for doing that. You set a foundation for Parker that impacted him not only in this life, but now in the life to come. Not one of us know um, what will happen in our life. Not one of us know uh, what the next day or the next year will hold. But we do know that what we do here matters. That's why I 'm so committed to the local church because the local church is the only organization in the, in the whole world really that provides that kind of hope for people that says I want to help you through Christ not only prepare for this life but to prepare for the life to come I want to give you hope for eternal life Christ says I want to give you forgiveness of your sins I want to I want to walk with you now and forever. And the Bible says, never will I leave you. Jesus said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And that means both in this life, but also he walks with us to the next life. And so today, we as a church family come together with uh, with sadness about Parker. And, um, and if you pray for their family, we're going to do that in just a minute. Uh, and also for their family and for his mom, Annie, and his stepdad. Ryan, and his father, Michael, and his grandparents, Al, and Jane, and for his siblings, his younger siblings. But we are also today very grateful because what you do in this place matters. It makes a difference. You are establishing for families and for children a foundation that will last them not only now, but forever. So God, we're thankful today. We're thankful today for your goodness and your grace and your kindness. And God, we're mindful of Parker and his family. And God, we're mindful of of the grief that they're experiencing today. We're, We're mindful of the holidays. And we're mindful of the things that they're going to walk through now in the next several days, and especially on Wednesday and then in the days and weeks and months to come. And God, I pray that your word and your spirit would be an encouragement and a comfort to them. And God, mostly I pray that, and I'm thankful, that we're not just focused on the today, we're focused on the forever. We're not just focused on the now, we're focused on eternity. And so God, I thank you that this place is faithful to your word and faithful to teaching people about Christ and faithful God to saying that there's more hope in this world there's more goodness in this world there's a life to come and so God I just hold on to that hope and for Parker as well God that there is an eternity in heaven and so God we're thankful for that whether we live 16 years or 86 years help us to continue to be faithful to you help us to continue to be faithful to your word and your promises so, God, now we worship you. We worship you in a spirit of